Well, I wanted to begin today with a little bit of a trip down memory lane for me, at least. You're welcome to tag along. Uh, when I was in college, my freshman year of college, I got there and everybody had something that I didn't have. You see, I was still using a CD player, like a, a Walkman. I know that's ancient for some of you under the age of 22, but um, it, was, it was a great piece of technology, except for when you were driving. You guys remember this problem. You'd be driving with your CD player, and what would it do? It would skip, and it was the worst thing in the world. It's a great song, and all of a sudden it starts skipping. And, and so I got desperate that I needed to get something new. I needed to get an MP3 player. I've got a picture of one on the screen here. I mean, it was, this was going to change my life. And, uh, and so I wanted an MP3 player. The problem was I was broken in college, and there was no way I was going to get one. And it was coming up in Christmas time, and I knew my parents were going to buy me something, but I knew how much they typically spent on Christmas. And this was way beyond that. And then something came into my life that just changed everything forever. Black Friday. <laughs> I mean, Black Friday saved me because that, that MP3 player came right down to my parents' price range. So I said, Mom, I want an MP3 player. It's on sale. It's Black Friday. She goes, that's great, but I'm not getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning. She goes, you're welcome to. And so a modern-day miracle happened. This 18-year-old college student woke up at 3 a.m., put on a jacket and a beanie and dragged my brother along with me. And we went to Circuit City at 3 a.m. to wait in line. Now, you can't even go to Circuit City anymore because they're out of business. Maybe that was part of their problem. And so we sat out there reading the newspaper because that's what you did in 2003. Um, you couldn't read your Kindle or watch Netflix because they hadn't been invented yet. So we waited in line. I was the fourth person in line. I ran inside the store. I found that beautiful 64 megabyte MP3 player. It barely held one CD. My phone today holds a thousand times more data than that little MP3 player, but it was amazing. I came home, I gave it to my mom, she wrapped it up and I waited a month till Christmas <laughs> and I opened it and uh, it's just a great, great Christmas. And, and the rest of them have been just trying to live up to that one ever since. I, I tell that story, not just to get a little bit of a laugh going this morning and kind of loosen you guys up. I tell that story because it's an example of what happens when desperation leads to action. See, I was desperate for that MP3 player. I knew that I couldn't afford it. I knew there was no other way to get it. And so I knew that I had to get up in the morning at 3 a.m. to go and buy that with my mom's money if I wanted to have it. Now, you may not have ever had a moment like that where you did Black Friday at 3 a.m. for a gift you wanted but you may have had a moment in your life when you were so desperate for something that it drove you to action. That you were willing to go to extreme lengths to get something. That you were willing to push beyond what you were comfortable with or what you felt um, used to, uh, what, was, what was something that was a known thing for you, what you felt good at to experience something you wanted. See, we're in this series called Desperate People. And we've said a desperate person is someone who wants something so badly that they're willing to go to extreme lengths to get it. And we're praying not that we'd be desperate people who want MP3 players, because luckily you don't have to, you know, wait in line at 3 a.m. for those anymore. But that we would be desperate people who have such a longing for God that we would go to extreme lengths to see God move mightily in our lives. Last week we said that, that life can either make us desperate or we can choose desperation for ourselves. We can either wait for a life crisis or a tragedy 
or a difficult event to move us to desperation and to make us dependent on God again and to remind us about what matters in life, or we can choose that posture ourselves. And we said, hey, we're not going to wait for that phone call to change everything for us. We're going to change our hearts and our postures so that we're dependent and desperate on God. And so this week we adopted a practice together. It's this desperate people challenge that we're praying together every day at 1215. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. I didn't know how this was going to go. It was just kind of an experiment. So I'm in the car on Monday with a friend of mine who attends here at Cornerstone. And my phone goes off at 1215. And all of a sudden he pulls off to the side of the road. And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, we're praying. And so he put the car in park, put the flashers on. And we prayed right there on the side of Willow Creek. It was awesome. Um, and then I got a text one day at 1215 from somebody. And so then I responded to it. And, and then the guy wrote back. He's like, oh my gosh, I forgot. I'm sorry. It's 1215. I, I interrupted your prayers. I said, it's no big deal, man. Not, no big deal. But I'm glad that he remembered. And it was so fun to go on Facebook and see you guys posting about how you were praying. And, and so if you're here for the first time, we're praying every day from now until September 10th at 1215. And you can join us. You don't have to be the best prayer in Prescott. You know, you don't have to pray 15 or 20 minutes. If you just stopped every day for a moment and prayed, I believe God would begin to do some amazing things in your life. So put a reminder on your phone. A guy caught me after the first service and said that he was in a, a meeting and his phone would not shut off, beeping at 1215. I said, well, God wanted you to pray apparently, you know? So, so set an alarm on your phone and join us starting today at 1215. Well, today we're going to kind of build on last week with this key idea. This is our big idea for this morning, that desperate people do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. Desperate people do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. Today, we'll look, look at a story of some men that got their friend close to Jesus because they believed if their friend could get to Jesus, everything would change. And that story is in the book of Luke chapter five. So if you have a copy of the scriptures with you, if you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter five. If you're new to the Bible, Luke is about three quarters of the way through the Bible. It's between the books of Matthew and Mark. Sorry, Mac, uh, Mark and John. And uh, Luke was a doctor. He wasn't a disciple of Jesus while he was alive. He became a disciple later, but he, he spent time researching the life and teaching of Jesus. And he gave us this gift, this account of the life and teaching of Jesus called the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke 5, verse 17, we read this really interesting story. Now, some of you, before I read this, are going to go, man, I've heard that story before. And sometimes what happens is that familiarity in our lives breeds contempt. We've heard something before, we read something before, and we go, okay, I, I got that. But I'm praying this morning that we come to this text with fresh eyes. So if you would, would you stand up with me while we read God's word? Honor that together. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. If you want to follow along, if you don't have a Bible, you can just watch the screens. Here's what Luke tells us. On one of those days... As Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let the man down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question them in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you or rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. God, I pray that we would experience something extraordinary today as you speak to us through this text. May you help us to become people who are desperate for and dependent on you today. In your name we pray, amen. You can be seated. So as I've been living in that text for the last few weeks, listening, learning, studying, there are four things that have come to mind for me, four lessons from this text. I'm calling them my four whatever it takes lessons. And some friends told me that I should explain to you that that's not a typo. It's not a pound sign. It's called a hashtag. And so uh, it's this thing that those of us millennials just put in places because we have bad grammar. And um, if you don't know what a hashtag is, just go home and type into Google Justin Timberlake hashtag skit, and it'll explain everything. So uh, our first whatever it takes lesson is this. Desperate people know who has the power. Desperate people know who has the power. See, the thing about desperation in our lives, especially when it comes to desperation with God, is that desperation reminds us that God has power that we don't. That God has resources that we don't. That contrary to the modern American myth, we are not in control of our lives and we are not all powerful to take care of everything. And in, in this passage, we see that truth in the lives of these desperate people. In Luke 5, verse 17, it reads, And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Now, we don't get a lot of details about this man who was paralyzed. We don't, we don't get a lot of idea about what caused him to be paralyzed, how long he had been paralyzed. We, we don't know if he heard that Jesus was coming to his city and asked his friends to take him. We don't know if his friends say, hey, we're taking you. And he goes, well, I'm paralyzed. What am I going to do? You know, we, we don't know what's going on with this guy. All we know is that Jesus had come and the power of God was with Jesus to heal. And so four men took their friend who was paralyzed and they sought to bring him to Jesus. That's, that's the essence of what we know. And frankly, that's enough to give us pause to reflect. See, see we often in our lives come to the place where, where we realize we don't have enough power. We come to the place where we realize, I can't fix this. And for some of us who are men, that's a really hard thing. We like to be fixers. We, we come to a situation and we go, man, I, I don't know how to solve or answer or resolve this situation. I can't get that person to do this thing and I can't get that person to do that thing. And I don't have enough money to do that thing. And so we come to the end of ourselves and we go, you know what? I don't have the power to fix this or change this. And in that moment, we get desperate for God. Billy Graham once said, when we come to the end of ourselves, we come to the beginning of God. And many of you have experienced that personally. 
where when you came to the end of your resources and you realized, I'm not all powerful. When you came to the end of your resources and you realized, I'm not in control. You came to the end of your resources and go, I can't fix and force life to do what I want it to do. It was in that moment that you discovered God. I've got some friends who've been through AA and they taught me that the first step in the 12-step process is admitting that you no longer have the power to overcome your addiction and you need a greater power. And regardless of your opinion of the 12-step program, that is a confession that every single one of us need to make. That we do not have the power to change and fix ourselves. Because honestly, most of us have been around long enough that if we had the power, we would have done it by now. And when we come to the end of ourselves and we realize that there is a power greater than ourselves that we need to not only experience the life God created us for, but to become the kind of people God created us to be and live the life he created us to live, then that's the place where we become desperate and we begin looking to the one who has the power. And sometimes life has to disabuse us of the idea that we are in control for us to become open to God. That's why sometimes God uses circumstances in our life that we would never ask for to do the exact thing we want to happen. The first lesson is that desperate people know who has the power. The second lesson is that desperate people take desperate action. Desperate people take desperate action. Said in the beginning that desperation leads to action. And so these men aren't just desperate and going, man, I hope our friend gets better. No, they figured out Jesus is here. Our friend is paralyzed. We're the dots to connect those two. And so we're going to help our friend. In verse 19, it says, but finding no way to bring him in to the house because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Here's the thing. When you get desperate for God or anything else in life, nothing's going to deter you. You're a man or a woman on a mission. And so you're going to get creative to solve that problem however you can. When somebody says they want something and yet they are giving up easily at obstacles, they don't really want it that bad. No, when you want it and you're desperate for it, you're going to push through anything. It's really funny. There's, there's not a lot of agreement among Bible scholars about what happened that day with the roof except for the fact that there was a roof and then there was a sunroof. So there's, there's not agreement. Did they pull tiles out? Did they break tiles off? You know, some people believe that it was a mix of grass and dirt. And so Jesus was getting some stuff in his hair while he was preaching, you know, like all we know is it was a very interesting day that day as people had walked for days from Jerusalem and Galilee and Judea to come and hear Jesus. And these guys couldn't get in the house. And so they became desperate and they took action to get their friend close to Jesus. And some of you are in the room today because you have friends like that. You have friends who refuse to give up on you. You have friends who refused to, to, to let go when it come, came to loving you and praying for you and serving you. It didn't matter if you were cynical. It didn't matter if you were bitter. It didn't matter if you were an atheist. It didn't matter if you didn't want to hear about God. They were just going to keep showing up in your life. And you're here today and you can sing about amazing grace because you've experienced it. And this week, probably one thing you should do is write them a thank you note for not giving up on you 
They probably didn't break through a roof, but their desperate action helped you to discover Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but you're here today in this room having church because Cornerstone Church has a history of being desperate people. Four years ago, we ran out of space. The the roof is still there. No one broke through the roof. But there was no longer room to have church at our Rosser campus. There were three services. We were maxing out fire code. And so said, what do we do? Well, could we have church in a theater? No, we can't have church in a theater. Churches don't meet in theaters. Churches meet in churches. Luckily, that was not the idea that Cornerstone Church had. And so you're sitting here today. There was room for you because some desperate people took desperate action. And I hope you look around this room and see these empty chairs as a gift that you can actually invite your friends to discover what you've experienced. Because in 2012, people couldn't. And now you can. And so desperate people taking desperate action led to life change and transformation. The funny thing about that is that creativity often comes from difficulty. Lauren Michaels is the founder of SNL. And he said, there's no creativity without boundaries. There's no creativity without boundaries. If you know someone who's a a painter or a poet, if you know somebody who sculpts or draws, and you say, "Just, just make something. That's the worst thing ever. A blank canvas is the worst thing ever for an artist. No, give me boundaries. Give me restrictions. Give me something to focus on. And in that place, I will be creative. If I told you you could have anything you wanted for lunch today, it wouldn't require a whole lot of creativity. But if I said, hey, you only have four or five ingredients, make something, you would have to get incredibly creative about what you made. And yet so often we resist the boundaries thinking, oh, like I can't do anything there. No, sometimes the greatest things come from the most difficult, desperate, boundary-driven situations. And one of those is sharing your faith. Because some of you in this room attend a school or work in a location where it's not allowed. So you could go, well, I guess I can't share my faith then. God can't use me there. That's the essence of not being desperate. No, if you're desperate, okay, how do I get creative? Well, I I can let my faith inform how I treat people. I can let my faith inform how I do my work. I can let my faith inform the words that I use to speak to people. I can show up with a certain attitude and posture and lifestyle every single day and stand out. See, you could say, hey, I have all these restrictions and all these reasons why I can't. Or you could go, these are the boundaries God has given me and he's called me to get desperate and creative. Sometimes the situation we least wanted becomes the place that God does his greatest work if we're desperate. The third lesson is this. The faith of desperate people changes others. The faith of desperate people changes others. Every week when I study, I try to find something that I've never seen before. Because if I'm excited about the Bible, you'll probably lean in and get excited too. And this is what I found this week. In verse 20, they lower the man down. Jesus stops his preaching. And it says, and when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now I want to draw your attention to the word there. If you've passed any English class in life, question for you, is there singular or plural? It's plural. Okay. So, so it's more than just that guy. 
If it was just, and he saw his faith and said, your sins are forgiven you, it wouldn't stand out. Because you know that when you've had faith and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you've experienced the forgiveness of God. But it says when he saw their faith, and just so you know, this is what Danny and I argued about all week long this week. We didn't argue about diapers or laundry or carpooling. We argued about this verse. Is there the four guys or is there the four guys and their friend? I don't know which one. It's not totally clear, but it involves the four people. And that's why you have to know that your faith can be used by God to transform the life of someone else. There are people in your life who are ready to give up and throw in the towel and your perseverance can carry them forward. There are people in your life who have doubts and questions and your faith to allow space for that gives them the permission to keep following and trusting God. Some of you in this room, you're being carried right now by the faith of other people while you go through a trial or a difficulty. We saw this perfectly played out in the last two weeks. If you're, you know, having Olympic fever like I've had. Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps is the most successful Olympian in human history. And yet in 2012, after winning again, he locked himself in his Baltimore apartment for five days. He didn't eat, he didn't sleep, and he got ready to take his own life. On top of the world and in the darkest place. And he calls a man, a man named Ray Lewis, two-time Super Bowl champion, accused of murder at one point in his life. And he tells Ray what's going on. And Ray says, Michael, your life is worth living. Let me tell you about the hell I went through. And Michael says, I'm going to send you a book and I want you to go into treatment. Michael says, no. He goes, no, you're going to treatment. And Ray's a pretty big dude. I'm I'm scared of Ray. You know, like if he was here, I'd be be intimidated. And, um, And Ray got some friends and said, Michael, you're going to get help. So he came here to Wickenburg went to treatment and read a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And Michael Phelps' life changed forever. And it's not because Ray Lewis was an amazing guy, and it's not because Michael Phelps was an amazing guy, although he is a fantastic swimmer. You know, I marvel at that. He's like a fish in the water. But what happened was when Michael Phelps was at the end of his rope, he reached out to somebody and that guy's faith saved him. It changed him, it carried him, and it helped him get to the place where he could begin to have faith himself. And this week, as he won his like 37th gold medal or whatever it was, he said, you know, this has been great, but this does not define me. My future is bright because God has a purpose for me. And so you need to know that your faith can change the lives of other people. And when desperate people do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus, God does incredible things. The fourth lesson from this passage is that the power of God, let's go to the fourth lesson here. God's movement towards, God's movement produces amazement and worship. God's movement in our lives produces amazement and worship. If you've ever seen God move in a powerful way in your life or somebody else, you probably said, wow, man, I didn't see that coming. Maybe there's somebody you said, man, they are who they are and they're never going to change. Or that thing over there, it is what it is. And then when it changed, when it wasn't what it always was, when they weren't who they always were, wow. 
In verse 26, Luke writes, And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. You know, my prayer every Sunday is that the last thing that would happen is you walk out these doors talking about someone who was on the stage. If you walk out of these doors talking about someone who was on the stage, hashtag fail. I mean, seriously, we failed. If you walked out these doors or you left 1216 on Monday or 1216 on Thursday or 8 a.m. on Tuesday and you said, man, God did something amazing, that's the win. And how long has it been since God amazed you? The word for amazement there is that they were out of their minds. That their minds were literally blown by what God did. When's the last time God blew your mind? When's the last time that you were overwhelmed by what God was doing? See, there's a quote at the core of this series from a pastor named Jim Cimbala. And he said, I despaired at the thought that my life might pass me by without taking an amazing vacation to Cabo. Well, that's not what he said. Um, I despaired at the thought that my life might pass me by without finally building my dream house in Prescott. Well, that wasn't it either. He said, I despaired at the thought that my life might pass me by without seeing God move mightily on my behalf. Is, Is that the prayer of your heart? Do you really long to see that more than anything else? Is that what you're desperate for? Because if that's what you're desperate for, that will change how you live. That will change how you approach Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And so I want to help you with some next steps that'll guide you forward this week as you seek to become more and more the people God called us to be who are desperate. And the first step is this. Look to Jesus as the source of your power. Look to Jesus as the source of your power. Some of you in this room, you're like the man on the mat. You're paralyzed. You realize that you are broken and you need healing and you've come to the end of what you can do yourself and you're saying, I can't do this anymore. I need the power of God in my life. A few weeks ago, there was a man who came and walked down in the aisle at the end of the service and he kneeled down right here. And he just was praying and weeping. We figured out later that he's here in Prescott basically as the last resort. And if things don't go well while he's here, he's going to lose his, his job and his family. And he's just broken. And he's praying. His eyes are closed. One of our prayer partners comes down and um, stands next to the man and, and uh, he's pouring his heart out. And the prayer partner says, have you ever invited God into that? Have you ever come to the end of doing it on your own and trusted God with all that? And the man opened his eyes for the first time and he said, I did for the very first time today. Some of you need that moment today where you come to the end of your power. You come to the end of you being in control of your life where you surrender and you look to God as the source of power for what only he can give See, the trouble is, is we're often more self-reliant than God-dependent. When it comes to how we live on a daily basis, we are often more self-reliant than God-dependent. And if that's the case, is it any wonder that we're not desperate for God and seeing him move in modely ways if we're living life dependent on ourselves? Maybe we say, hey man, I'm, I'm, I follow Jesus. Yeah, but I run my life, you know? 
Let Carrie Underwood sing about Jesus taking the wheel. I got the wheel for myself, you know? And when you look to God as the source of power, then he begins to drive your life. You begin to be desperate for him and you live every day dependent on him. That's the secret strategy. I'm just kind of giving you a little bit of a background for the 1215 prayer thing. That's the secret strategy is that every day, once a day for 30 days, 28 days, you're reminded you're not in control. You need more power than you got. You've got to connect with something greater. The second step today is to identify the people around you who need forgiveness and healing. Identify the people around you who need forgiveness and healing. I think each of us have people in our life that are like the man on the mat. And God has put them in our life for us to help them get closer to Jesus. When you walked in, there was a bookmark in your bulletin. It looks like this. If you, everybody in the room would pull it out. If you got a bulletin, pull out your bookmark. At the top of it, it says my circle. and has all these little circles. Family, friends, neighbor, work, school, and other. And what I want you to do today before you go to bed is I want you to reflect on who has God put in your life who needs to experience the forgiveness and healing of Jesus for the first time? Are they a friend? Are they part of your family? Somebody you work with? Somebody you see at the same coffee shop every day? Who are those people that God has sent you to? Maybe you're not going to break through a roof somewhere, but God's put you in their life for you to help them get one step closer to Jesus. And so my challenge for you is to pray for them every day this week at 12.15. Some of you, what you're going to have to pray for today is that you don't have anybody on this list. That you've been following Jesus for so long and spending all your time with people who are church people that you have no meaningful relationships with anybody who doesn't know Jesus. And I hope you don't run from that discomfort because that's the edge of your faith and where God wants to take you. I've got names on my list, but truthfully, they're all names from Phoenix. So I need to find some names for Prescott. Some of you need to get desperate about the fact that you have a blank list and pray that God would show you who are the people he's put in your life. The third step is that you would help the people around you get to Jesus. You would help the people around you get to Jesus. These four guys, they came to their friend and they said, hey, we're not anything special. You know, we're not doctors, we're not healers, but we know someone who is. And so as far as it depends on us, we're going to help you get closer to Jesus. They didn't say, we're going to heal you, we're going to fix you, we're going to change you. They said, we're just going to take you to the one who is. And so with your list, you're not going to fix these people. Please, don't fix them. Don't put them in a headlock and say, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? No, don't do that. But just help them get closer. I love what Ray Johnston says. Evangelism is simply helping people take one step closer to Jesus. If you had somebody in your life who self-professes that they hate church people, 
because I got some of those people in my life, and they decide that they like you, that's a step closer to Jesus. If you have somebody in your life that is a avowed God-hating atheist, and yet they'll talk to you about what they believe and ask you about what you believe, that's a step closer to Jesus. If your neighbor moves into your neighborhood and says, hey, I'm looking for a church in Prescott, you go, well, you know, the pastor's good, you know, most days, you know, invite him here. That's a step closer to Jesus. I'm not asking you to save the 40,000 people who call Prescott home and the 40,000 people who call Prescott Valley home. I'm just asking you to make a list of five to 10 people and say, how can you help them take one step closer to Jesus? Because guess what? You're not the only person living in the city who's following Jesus who God can use. And if we all got desperate to be used by God to help people get closer to Jesus, I believe God would begin doing incredible things in our midst. So that's our prayer this week, that God would help us become desperate to the point that we would do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to help people get closer to Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much that there were people in our life who did whatever it takes to help us get closer to you. God, we can sing about amazing grace because they loved us and for some of us, they carried us to the feet of Jesus. God, some of us need to face the fact that, that, that we don't have anybody on our list. That it's been weeks or months since we had a meal or coffee with someone who wasn't also a follower of yours. God, they're all around us. We're just not looking. And so I pray this morning for those of us in the room who that describes that, that you would break our hearts and in the midst of that brokenness, you would create a desperation to see you work through us and the lives of people around us. God, some of us in this room need, need to face the fact that we've been trying to control life on our own and it's really not working. And we need to come to the end of ourselves so that we can come to the beginning of your power and your grace and your mercy. God, thank you so much for meeting us in this place. We pray that you set a fire in our hearts and that we live desperate for you. In your name we pray, amen. The response time today really is centered around two things. One, if you're a person like that man who came forward a few weeks ago, you said, hey, I I've tried this on my own. I'm at the end of my rope. Then you can come forward right now. Our prayer partners will be here and they would love to pray with you about what it would mean to trust God with your life. Honestly, you've been trying to do it your way for 10 or 15 or 20 or 50 years. Would it hurt to give God a shot? Some of you need to come forward and pray for the people on your list, that you would have the grace to love them because some of us have people on our list that are really hard to love and we need God's love for that. Or maybe you want to pray for the fact that your list is really short and you want to ask God to open your eyes. While we sing this song, this will be your time to respond. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.